Hey, I'm glad you're here today. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're just excited for you to be here with us this morning. Uh, hey, a couple things before we get going. Pastor Kirk mentioned you saw all the construction going on, right? And uh, so that's exciting. Did you know, uh, Lord willing, two weeks from today, uh, we're going to be coming in through that new entrance. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, so that's pretty cool. They're pouring more concrete here in the next few weeks. If, if you are on uh, shovel duty this winter, don't throw salt on that concrete. Um, just shovel it, and we'll walk carefully. If it's icy, we don't want to ruin that. Just a random thing. If you're here throughout the winter, we wanted to say that. But also, did you know we're doing demo here in a few weeks in the kids' wing? And we would love for you to come help swing a hammer. Uh, in fact, some of that is even going to be starting this week. And uh, here's how it's going to happen. is uh, Sean, I can't see here today. There he is. There's Sean. Sean, why don't you stand up so people can see you? This is Sean. Uh, he's been coming to church since Easter and is part of DJ. And he's going to be here. He's giving some of his own time this week from 10 to 2 every day. Is that right, Sean? Thanks, buddy. And uh, he's going to help start taking some of the tiles out just to speed the process along. So if you're free and you want to help, that's up to you. And uh, if there's some more opportunity that comes up, we'll let you know about that. But be sure to mark that on your Connect card and uh, let us know today. Um, or give a, give a shout to the church office if you can help. We are in a series called Life is Short, and we're studying different parts of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we've been kind of jumping around. We're not going straight through, but we're just kind of moving through pieces of Ecclesiastes. And uh, the first week, we just saw that Solomon told us life is meaningless. And he didn't just say it the first week. He says it over and over and over through this book. And uh, the next week, we saw that every pursuit under the sun is meaningless, but we should live for eternity. We're actually going to look at that same verse again this morning. And then we saw that life, though, is even though it's short, it's meant to be enjoyed and that we should choose to be joyful. It's not fair, we learned, but God is good. So we can fear Jesus and enjoy life. Every week, we've talked about uh, even in light of life being hard and being short, choosing to enjoy it. That's something Solomon commends to us. He commends to us to choose joy. And we're going to see something very similar even today in what is probably the most well-known passage in all of Ecclesiastes. But the book of Ecclesiastes is written by this guy named Solomon. Maybe you've heard of him. Solomon was uh, one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. He also made some of the biggest mistakes that any of the kings of Israel ever made. Solomon began, began life with incredible, incredible wisdom. In fact, God let him ask for whatever he would desire, and uh, Solomon said, Lord, I want wisdom to know how to rule and lead your people well. This pleased God, so he gave him wisdom and, and everything else, all kinds of wealth and prosperity, and the, the borders of the kingdom of Israel were larger under the reign of Solomon than any other king. But sadly, partway through his life, after building the temple, he begins uh, intermarrying with all kinds of women of other faiths. And these women turn his heart away from the Lord towards their gods, their false gods. And Solomon, in folly, not only did he build the temple to the Lord, but he starts building places of worship to these false demonic gods. And in so doing, his kingdom, after his death, is ruined. 
And at the end of his life, I believe, is when Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes and he looks back. He looks back at a time of his faithfulness and a time of him pursuing and chasing after every pleasure under the sun in this life and looking back and saying, chasing those pleasures under the sun is meaningless and vanity and a waste of time. And he's writing a warning to us on how we should live our lives in light of the fact of life being so short. But of all the things about Solomon that you know, Did you realize that he's a top 40 songwriter? Do we got it? Hey, there it is. We just didn't have audio. Do you know this song? Did you know that King Solomon wrote the lyrics to this song? Almost word for word. Keep it going. Keep it going. Noah? Oh, man. I was so excited for that. All week long. You know the song though, right? We've had some issues with the computer this morning. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, right? Some of you are singing it. And some of you, if you heard it, you would start going, ah, the hippie days. And you would be, you would think, yeah, time for everything under heaven. Do you know Solomon wrote those words? And that song, word for word, nearly word for word is taken out of our text this morning. We can go ahead and skip it now. We, we lost the impact. Let's read, though, from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I'm going to be in the New Living Translation. Solomon writes this. He says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, A time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to turn away, a time to search, and a time to quit searching, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. You know, that, you know that song? It was written thousands of years ago by King Solomon. And it's one of the most poetic parts of scripture. Now, oftentimes when we look at, at Hebrew poetry, sometimes the poetry that gets translated into English, we're like, oh, okay, that's not too poetic. But this one really seems to translate well and the way that Solomon writes it. And we're gonna look at that this morning. But before we do, let me pray. And then uh, we're gonna, we're gonna go further into the text of Ecclesiastes 3 today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace and your goodness to us. Uh, thank you that even though life is short and that uh, sometimes we can feel uh, that it is meaningless or that it's all vanity. And even as we uh, look around at things under the sun in this life, Apart from you, they they really are. We thank you, Jesus, that you give meaning and purpose to life and to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, help me as I teach, that you would even teach me as I teach, that you would change us by the power of your word. We pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He would uh, cause us to turn our eyes, Jesus, from you and to our surroundings and to this earth. But Jesus, you call us to turn our sights vertically toward you. And we pray all this, Jesus, through you. Amen. 
Well, Solomon rightly points out that life is full of seasons. Life is full of seasons. Would you agree? That there's different seasons to life. I mean, Solomon laid them out pretty well. That there's different seasons and times for every activity, he writes, under heaven in this life. That by God's design, I'm going to argue, he's actually created different seasons and times of life for us. There's actually, there are seasons and rhythms to life. And this goes for all of life. I mean, the, the most obvious place is in nature. Have you noticed that it's a little cold this week? That it's colder than it was three, four weeks ago? And yet it's warmer than it's going to be in another four weeks. How's that for depressing? There's seasons that God has orchestrated. And, and by his incredibly wise design, uh, now we can explain it all by physics and and uh, looking at the, the tilt of the earth and rotation and uh, the revolution around the sun and all those things, but all that's God's design. And he's created things in such a way that seasons exist. But it's, it's part of God's design for all things, not just nature. Not just nature, not just summer, winter, spring, and fall, not just those seasons, but they're seasons of life. See, I think you see it carry over into the way that everyone orients their life, too. I believe that's because God's actually hardwired this, this idea of seasons and times into our very being. It's, it's part of who we are and what we're created to be and do. I mean, think about the different arenas of your life. I would imagine that in every arena of your life, there are different seasons associated with it. Not seasons like the weather, but seasons like times. Think, think of your work life. For some of you, many of you in your job, you live and die by different seasons in your work. Uh, depending on the industry you're in, you might have a season where you're building up inventory for a season, only for another season where you're hopefully, right, going to sell it all. And then you're, you're selling it, you're building up wealth in order to come back and build up more inventory in the next season and keep going. If you're in a factory setting, this is often the case. And then during some seasons, everything just shuts down to retool or to regroup or to rest. You might, your work might be divided into financial months or quarters in your work life and have different seasons, right? And uh, based on different reporting requirements or sales goals, it's important to know where you're at too within that season. If you work in agriculture, your job literally revolves around seasons. There's a time to plant, a time to tend, a time to harvest, a time to prepare. There, there's seasons in our work. Life is full of seasons. Where else in life are there seasons? How about school? This is the season that the school seasons are the ones that at least our culture in North America seems to most often revolve everything around. It seems to dictate the seasons of culture more than any other arena, the, the school calendar. Think of school, right? You have registration late summer. Or if, back up earlier, if it's kindergarten, you've got kindergarten roundup in the spring, and then you've got registration late summer, and then you have this push into the fall, and maybe if you're in high school, you have homecoming, and then there's fall break, and then you come back for another season, and you get to the end of the trimester or quarter or semester, whatever school you're in, and there's tests, and it's time to study, and it's a season for cramming and staying up late. 
and hoping you can remember what in the world is on the test. And then you have a winter break and you have Christmas and you have other seasons and it just keeps going. Or how about athletics and in sports? Every sport has a season to it. If your sport doesn't have a season, is it really a sport? No, just a, just a thought. But, but sports have seasons to it, don't they? And uh, even within the season, there's seasons. You get into the playoffs. You get into the finals. Or you have the preseason. It's all organized around seasons. How about the church? Do you know the church has seasons? In fact, God used seasons and times to shape the worship of his people Israel. And this carried over into the church. Now, I wonder, why would he have done this? Well, in part because he created us to observe and to live by certain seasons and times. But it was all orchestrated around us understanding his salvation and his offer of salvation to us and his glory. And then Christians have continued this out of the Old Testament. And uh, they tend to to set everything around uh, God's salvation through his great son, Jesus. You have Advent season coming up, and then Christmas season, and then Epiphany, and then Lent. And some of you, if you're from more of a high church background, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We don't celebrate all those seasons, but we still celebrate some of them. And beyond the church calendar, we structure our ministry here into seasons. There's, There's kind of a, do you know that there's seasons where the church grows and seasons where it doesn't grow? And as a general rule, usually those first six weeks of fall from like mid-August to mid-October are times of growth. And so are uh, early January to mid-February are times of growth. But then you get into November or you get into the summer and it's just times of dormancy in church growth. Watch our attendance, see how that goes. It happens in pretty much every church. There's seasons to life. There's times for rest and retooling and God's created us for seasons. You ever thought about a tree? You ever noticed our logo is a tree? Trees demonstrate seasons maybe more than anything else in God's creation. And the continuation of seasons. In the spring you have you know, the, the, the buds and it's, 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 it's budding and then it, it it turns green and then it turns colors in the fall and then every other leaves fall off and then it's without leaves. And it's just this slow, steady growth. And sometimes the growth is evident. Sometimes the tree's dormant. It's still alive, but it's still growing. Well, Solomon's trying to tell us that life is like that. Life has different seasons to it. Times that are fruitful, times that are joyful, times that are happy, and times that are incredibly incredibly painful and dry and dormant and lonely. Life goes through seasons. The psalmist writes, my times are in your hand, Lord. Hebrews 9 tells us that just as it's appointed for a man to die once after that comes judgment, that that God has created us to live by different rhythms and seasons in life. Now, the key to all of this is to recognize, here's, here's where this matters for you is recognizing what season you're in in your life. I think Solomon would tell us that. It's important to understand the season. I had some buddies at Moody on my floor, some good friends. And one of them, his name was Mike Clare. And I got a picture of him here. You'll see Mike pop up on the screen. This is about 20 years ago at a wedding. And Mike, um, yeah, you can laugh at me, it's Okay. Mike was notorious for wearing flip-flops. Now, when I was at Moody, 
went to Moody Bible Institute downtown Chicago, and there was still a, a pretty strict dress code in those days. Like you had to wear, you couldn't wear jeans to class. You had to wear a collared shirt. If you were a guy, it had to be tucked in. Um, uh, you couldn't wear tennis shoes. You had to have uh, some kind of dress shoes on to go to class. And there were all these rules. Yet Mike somehow seemed to uh, get away with the shoe thing. He always had on flip-flops. No matter the season, no matter the time of year, no matter what class or where he was on campus, he always had on flip-flops. He would get in trouble for it, and the next day he would still wear flip-flops. But sometimes in the middle of winter... In downtown Chicago, you want to talk about cold when some of the wind starts whipping around some of those buildings? And you would see Mike bundled up in flip-flops. And you'd be like, Mike, do you understand what season it is, man? Like it's snowing and you have flip-flops on. you got to know what season you're in. This goes for life, too. Anyone who's worked with junior high kids, you, you've had the same experience. You'll see a, a junior high boy in the middle of winter in gym shorts and a t-shirt and like put on a coat, son, come on. Dress for the weather. You gotta know what season you're in. It's important to know this. Uh, just like it's important to know the weather, to know what season you're in, uh, helps you know what, how to dress in the weather. It also helps you know how to live. Because God has created us for seasons, and there's different seasons for different activities and different seasons for different things. Think back of our illustration on our illustration of a tree. Imagine if I didn't understand seasons, but I decided I wanted some trees in my backyard. So I go to a garden center, and I buy three, four trees, you know, the ones that are, you know, in a, in a pot 10 feet tall, and I take them home, I dig a hole, and I plant them, and I water them. And we get into the spring and they start to bud some flowers. I'm like, oh, this is working. This is fantastic. Then in the summer, the leaves turn green. And I'm excited about that. And it's growing, right? And then in the fall, the leaves turn colors. I'm like, ooh, now this is pretty cool. And then what happens? The leaves start to get dry and brittle. And they fall off. And they fall to the ground. And I don't understand seasons. I'm like, what's happening? My tree, what do I think's happening? I think it's dying. It's dying, and so it gets to winter, and everything's gone. And so next spring, because I don't understand seasons, I dig up the tree, and I go buy new ones and plant new ones again. Now, you think that sounds foolish, don't you? But isn't it true that in life, see, Solomon reminds us that there's seasons in life. And oftentimes in life, we lack the wisdom to step back and simply discern what the season is. See, because Solomon told us, he said, there's a time for, for everything under heaven. There's a season, a time for every activity. And I think oftentimes we make foolish decisions because we don't step back to recognize the season of our lives. Marriages are given up on too easily. In part, by the way, because too many people spend all their time preparing for the first day and forgetting that there'll be a last day. And so then when things get tough in those seasons in between, they give up too early. And instead of their last day being a glorious day like the first day, their last day is a train wreck. And some of you, have, you've experienced that. And I don't say that to your shame. I just say that to say there's seasons, aren't there? And sometimes by not knowing the season, that's not the only reason, but sometimes that's the reason. Sometimes foolish career decisions are made. Imagine if your business didn't understand seasons. 
in times when you're supposed to be building up inventory, you might not be doing anything. And then when it comes time to sell everything, you have nothing to sell. And what happens to your business? It goes under. There's seasons by which God has designed and he's shaped us. He uses them to shape us and prepare us for future seasons. So let's look again with this idea in mind at some of the seasons that Solomon talks about. He says, for everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. In other words, there's a time for things to begin and there's a time for things to end. Not everything is meant to last forever. Sometimes really good things, when we create them, we think, hey, this is great. This is gonna be forever. It's not. It's not. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. See, for instance, imagine, even think about uh, your life. Paul writes this, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Imagine, uh, I'm 40 years old. Imagine if I still lived at home, in the basement, played video games, had my mom schedule all my doctor's appointments, cook all my food. You'd be like, Josh, that's okay when you're, you know, a teenager, but you're, you're 40. You got to understand the season, bro. Like, grow up, right? Sometimes there's different seasons for different things. There's time for things to begin and times for things to die, like our childish ways. It's okay for a child to act like a child. It's not okay for a 40-year-old man to act like a child. There's a time to plant and a time to harvest for planting and preparing and a time for reaping. Galatians 6, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Verse 3, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to, in other words, a time to put all the other down and a time to take all the other to the vet. <laughs> Some of you got that. The rest of you, you'll think about it later. A time to tear down and a time to build up. Sometimes you have to tear down before you can build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. See, when it's time to cry, when it's time to grieve, be sure that you cry, be sure that you grieve. Solomon tells us there's a season for those things. You know, the, the last few years, I've shared this with you often, but in our home, it's been a, it's been a few years of seasons, many seasons of grieving. Loss of family members, uh, loss, of, um, loss of friendships, loss of children, loss of some health, loss of some dreams. You've had some of those seasons too, haven't you? We all have. And one of the things that I've learned, and it's not because I've learned it, but because uh, Hannah's learned it, my wife has learned it, and she's shared it often, and I think it's wise, is that when grief knocks on your door, let it in, give it what it wants, and send it on its way. Because there's a season for grieving. There's a season for crying. So grieve when it's a time for grieving. But don't stay there. Finish your grief and move on. Now, it might come back. It might knock again tomorrow or this afternoon. Grieve and then keep going, right? Because it's, it's for a season. It's for a time. See, if you don't grieve, if you're just like, no, I'm just not going to grieve. I'm just going to, you know what happens? Oh, man, all kinds of issues. And you're going to be sitting in Pastor Kirk's office 
getting counseling. Um, you'll become angry and bitter and irritable. You'll continue obsessing over what's happened. You'll never let it go. You'll fear more loss. You'll overreact. You'll become numb. And then you'll never be able to go on to those seasons of crying, or of, excuse me, of laughing and of joy. See, there's a time to laugh. There's a time to dance. To dance. I know, right? Some of you grew up in really fundamentalist churches. You're like, dance? Are you sure? Yeah, we're going to put the fun back in fundamentalism. We're going to dance. Right? It's a good thing to dance. It's a good thing to have joy. There's a time, he says in verse 5, to scatter stones and to gather stones. Time for scattering, a time for gathering, a time to embrace, and a time to turn away. Sometimes we need to turn away from certain things or certain people. A time to search and a time to quit searching. If you golf, you understand that one, (laughs) right? There's a time to find the ball, and there's a time, there's a foursome behind you, let it go. There's a time to keep, and there's a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, but also a time to speak. That's one, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to err more on the side of being quiet when I should speak. Some people err more on the side of speaking when it should be a time to be quiet. We're all different. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. See, God has created us for seasons. There's seasons of life, many seasons. Know the season you're in because then you know how to live and how to act, right? I know that in a time of grieving, it's time to grieve. I know that in a time of dancing, it's time to dance. I know that in a time of building up, it's time to build up. I know that in a time of tearing down, it's time to tear down. And some of those seasons are short and some can be incredibly long. Some can be for decades, but they're only a season. It's a defined amount of time. See, and the reality is that life is full of seasons and God is the one orchestrating all of them for good. He's orchestrating them for good. He doesn't necessarily call them good, but he's orchestrating. He's working them for good. He is. See, Solomon goes on in verse 9. He says, what do people really get for all their hard work? Because I've seen the burden that God has placed on us all. Yet. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Depending on your translation, it might say in its own time. He's planted in eternity. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work. Not all of it from beginning to end. What Solomon's talking about here and God orchestrating things for good, he's talking about God's sovereignty. That's the big theological term. His sovereignty. In other words, I liked this definition, God's all-encompassing rule over the universe. His all-encompassing rule over the entire universe. Now, God's sovereignty, his all-encompassing rule over everything for all time can be a really comforting thing. Would you agree? And sometimes it can be a really infuriating thing. Because there tends to be this, when things are going well and it's something we like, we go, oh, that's really comforting. You know, God's in control. Or, or when things aren't going well and I know it's going to get better, God's in control. But when there's some things that I don't even know how to accept or how to deal with, I go, 
What do you mean God's in control? God, why, why are you letting this happen if you're in control? See, it can be really comforting and really infuriating. A guy at uh, a guest lecturer at Calvin Seminary, R.B. Kuyper, once used the following illustration of God's sovereignty uh, and human responsibility in helping him cope with that issue of God being in control both in the good and in the bad, but him being in control all the time. He said, I liken it to two ropes going through two holes in the ceiling over a pulley up above. So you can imagine that, right? If I got a rope here and it goes up and over and comes down over a pulley up in the ceiling. If I wish to support myself by them, by these ropes, I must cling to them both, he says. If I cling only to one and not the other, I go down. If I cling only to God, uh, God's being in control in the good, I go down. If I cling only to God's control and being angry with him in the bad, I go down. And you could relate that to, as he says, to human responsibility too, to, to God being in control, but I having responsibility. And if I only hold on to one, I fall down. He goes, I read the many passages of the Bible regarding God's sovereignty. And sometimes while there's seeming contradictions that can't be reconciled by my puny human mind with childlike faith, I cling to both ropes, fully confident that in eternity I will see that both strands are true. After all, they're both of one piece of rope. And I hold on to God's sovereignty, that he's in control. He also gives me responsibility. He's control in the good, and he's in control over the bad. He's orchestrating all things for good. And the reality is we don't and often won't know all the details. See, Ecclesiastes 3.11, he said he's made everything beautiful in its time. In other words, really, in God's time. In the moment, it might not be beautiful. In the moment, it might be incredibly ugly and hard and painful. But he's working it. He promises to work it for good. And if it's not good yet, it's not the end. Because in the end, he promises to work it all for good. He works it all for good. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that for those who love God, God works all things together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, in your, in your notes, it says there's a little FF after that. Do you notice that? You ever wonder what that is? That just means and following. In other words, if you open your Bible to that passage, keep reading because there's more. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. What shall we say to these things then? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's going to work it all for good. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul confirms it as well. He says, and we with unveiled face will be beholding the glory of the Lord. We're, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. See, to go back to Solomon in these seasons and him making all things beautiful in their time, each season God is using to shape us and to do something in us to make us more like Jesus. And over time, he's shaping us more into the image of his son, as Paul wrote in Romans 8, conforming us into his image. 
And if God is going to, Rick Warren said this, and I like this, if, if God is going to make you like Jesus, guess what? He might have to take you through some of the things Jesus went through, which is pain and hardship and confusion and frustration and misunderstanding and all different seasons. And God is working them to make all things beautiful in its time. Will you trust him in that? That's what Solomon's talking about in these seasons. See, Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, how's the rest of it go? He's faithful to complete it. He's faithful to complete it. He'll bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. The way Solomon said it was, he's planted eternity in our hearts and he's going to make everything beautiful in its time. So every season, good and bad, we can still then trust him. We can trust God. We can trust that he's sovereign, that he's God and we're not. He's in control. We can enjoy life and trust him. Ecclesiastes 3, here's how he ends this passage, verses 12 through 15. So I concluded, Solomon says, there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. And now here comes a big statement of God's sovereignty. And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. Paul said it, that God's purpose is to, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to conform you into the image of his son, to bring glory to Jesus Christ and to bring joy to you. Solomon said it, is God's purpose is that people would fear him. What's happening now has happened before. It will happen in the future. What's hap- what will happen in the future has happened before because God makes the same things happen over and over again. He uses these seasons to refine us and make us like Jesus so we can enjoy life and trust him in the process. Amen? Now, to enjoy life, you know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Have you heard me say that before? I think I said it in this series even. But you know where else it is? You see that dusty, dark blue book in front of you? You might have to blow it off. It's called a hymnal. And whoever picked out our hymnals picked out a good set of hymnals because there's a lot of good hymns in there. There's also a lot of uh, good readings and good creeds and other helpful material in there to worship. And one particular, if you want to, you can turn there, is on uh, page, or excuse me, it's number 364. It says that exact thing, uh, quoting Francis Schaeffer talking about it. It says, the chief end of man, it was 364 if you're curious, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, it would be scripturally false to leave out the second phrase, and enjoy him forever. The men who formulated this showed great wisdom and insight in saying, and enjoy him forever. Nevertheless, the first phrase is the first phrase that the chief end of man is to glorify God. And in Christianity, we have a non-determined God who did not need to create because there was love and communion within the Trinity. And yet, having been created, we as men can glorify God. But we must, must feel both sides of the issue. If we fail to emphasize that we can glorify God, 
And really, I would add that he's worthy of glory, that he's sovereign. We raise the whole question of whether men are significant at all. We begin to lose our humanity as soon as we begin to lose the emphasis that what we do makes a difference. We can can glorify God, and both the Old and New Testament say that we can, and can even make God sad, and that, he says, is tremendous. In his sovereignty, we can trust him, and we can enjoy him, And I would argue that you can't really enjoy him until you learn to trust him. So friends, God has made us for different seasons. He's orchestrating them all for good. It's good to know what season you're in. It determines how you would live. Know that he's working all things for good. He's he's moving us from one degree of glory to another. And we can trust him in the process. Amen. Let me pray. And uh, we're going to sing and uh, call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. Thank you that uh, you're shaping us and making us new. And um, Lord, that whatever season of life we find ourselves in, we know that you're in control of it. Whether it's a season of good and of prosperity, or if it's a, a season of hardship and of pain, whether it's a season that uh, maybe has just begun or a season that we've been enduring for years, we know that you're sovereign and in control. Help us to trust in the truth that whatever it is, good or, or bad, you're working it for good. And Lord, you keep all of your promises and you promise to conform us into the image of your son, to, to move us from one degree of glory to another, to continually work things for our good so that In the end, we can be with you forever and experience all of your goodness. Lord, I pray for those today who maybe have never trusted you. I pray that today uh, they might repent of their sin, turn, recognize they need a savior, and Jesus call out to you to save them. If that's you, it's simply a matter of faith, recognizing that, that you need help, that you need a savior. And if you simply confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord, that God raised him from the dead, that he died on the cross for your sins, you will be saved. And he'll work this process in you for your good and his glory. Father, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.